You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. I really love where we are at as a church. It is amazing what can happen in two years. I mean, think back to where you were two years ago. I know where you all were. You were in your homes. That's where we were. Unsure what the future was going to hold. Unsure what was going to happen for the church. Now look where we're at. A bunch of very happy, talkative, joyful little kiddos. I was watching one little girl over here dumping all of her change in the offering plate. So excited to do so. We've got Pastor Mike preaching at another church and ministering in another place. We have Tono here. And brother, I'm so glad that you're here and joining with us. Uh, and going to be planting, and we get to pray and pour into that and talk about how we get to support that. We just get to see God's work going and doing and, and just some amazing things that just two years ago seemed very far off. Very far off. God is remarkable. And sometimes when we're sitting in it and it seems difficult, two years isn't really that long if you think about it. That's pretty amazing. Well, I'm really... Thankful to be here. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Brian, and uh, we get to walk through God's Word together. We're continuing in our series through First and Second Thessalonians. We're going to be in Second Thessalonians three, verses one through five. So, if you'd like to make your way there, that would be great. You can read along, have your Bible open in your lap. It's important to us here that you're able to look and see God's Word, and I want to encourage that you would check me and make sure I'm right, and so that you're hearing the preached word correctly. If you are using one of those pew Bibles, that'll be on page 1050. If you're using the Version app, we've put a bunch of scriptures in there. Let's go ahead and take a look at God's word together this morning. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. God's word says, In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we commanded. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Let's pray. Father, help me, Lord. Help me to teach and communicate and proclaim the message that you have for us in this text. I'm going to be sure that we are straight and true, not veering to the right or the left in, in error. And Lord, help the hearers that as it is preached and as we work through it together, Lord, that they would apply it immediately to their lives and be moved by it and transformed by it. Lord, we seek that your word would be active in our lives, teaching and correcting, rebuking if necessary, that it be good for this moment, Lord. And God, we seek that it would not be empty in us, that we'd hear it and it would do a mighty work. So Lord, I pray that you would help me, you would help those hearing, and Lord, above all, that you'd be glorified in this. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, prior to what we just read, as we're working through this, uh, we remember that Paul had discussed previously that there are some who are saved and there are some who are perishing. And then he reminded us that there are false demonic signs 
and wonders and, and things that are causing people to be duped by Satan. And then there is the gospel. Then he goes on to say, because of that, that we should hold firm to the truth. Right? We should stand on that and we should hold that. And he, he really made that uh, a significant part of what he was communicating here in this text. And now he's shifted gears. He shifted gears with the words right here in verse 1 that say, in addition. So there's, there's more. We're going we're gonna to conclude that thought and we're going to talk about some more. Not that he really ever concludes on the gospel. Paul never really lets that one go. He just kind of keeps that running throughout his thinking. But we're going to conclude that part. And now we have a little more business to do before Paul is going to, to finish out this letter. And what's this about? What is the topic of this business, of, of these five verses. If you look in your Bible, if it's like my Bible, the publisher has helped us by putting a little, a little heading over the section. And in, in this Bible that I have, it says, pray for us. And that's helpful, but if it were me, if I were you know, at the publisher's office, I would suggest that it should say, prayer requests in preparation for engagement in this world. And of course, the publisher would say, that's way too long. I can't do that. But I think that's what it should say. Prayer requests in preparation for engagement in this world. Because what do you see those prayer requests being? In in verse 1, he says, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. And then in verse 2, he says, Pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. Now, in case you were worried, or in case maybe they were worried, that the gospel wouldn't be spread rapidly because of those wicked and evil people. He goes on in verse 3 and he says, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord's going to do it. Let's pray, but the Lord is going to do it. And so the application we should take from that is there's no reason to worry. The Lord's got this. He's the provider. He's the one that carries us. He is faithful. So let's not be worried about this, but let's pray about it. How is God faithful? Well, Paul goes on. He doesn't leave that to question. Verse 3 says, He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. Now, let's be clear here. When Paul wrote the letter, he had you in mind, and it was the church in Thessalonica. We probably just heard that as me, you, oh, just insert my own name here, which you could by extension do. But I want you to notice something. Did you catch what he did? He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. Did you see it? We might have been expecting that Paul would have said he will strengthen and guard us, meaning Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy from the evil one. Let's read this again. What would we expect to see there? I'm just going to read the first three verses. In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you, that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil people, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. That is not what we would have expected to see. Is it? I don't think I would have expected that. Paul wasn't really actually asking specifically for exclusive prayers for Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, was he? Was he? Was he asking for them to pray for them? Well, yes and no. He was asking them to pray for them, but also he was asking them to pray for something 
more. Because the statement at the beginning of this that says pray for us is actually a clause. It's a statement that says, really, we'd like you to do something for us. But what is the actual prayer request? What would they actually be doing? It says pray that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. That's not specific for Paul and Silvanus and, and Timothy. That's that the gospel would go by whatever means necessary, by whoever and however it's going to go. He's saying pray for the gospel, not pray for, for me. That was the actual prayer request. And then he goes on, he says also, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. That's verse 2. The we in this sentence, it's a little bit debatable, but it is not necessarily exclusive to Paul, Silvanus, or Timothy. Meaning, Paul might actually be thinking about all of the church and all of the means and the people by which the gospel is being spread. And the reason I think that's correct is because the very next verse, Paul encourages them, telling them the Lord is faithful and protect you. So when he says, pray that we would be protected, I don't think he's thinking about himself. I think he's thinking, we, (laughs) all of us. Pray for all of us. Okay, so what's my point here? I mean, like, okay, it's really technical. Who cares? Why are we going through this commentary? Here's where I'm going with this. Paul was saying that they were in it together. The same is true for us today. We are in this together. We are in this together when it comes to the rapid spreading of the gospel and heralding it and proclaiming it. And we are in this together when it comes to dealing with the evil one, which is mentioned in here, but also wicked and evil people empowered by the evil. We are in this together with all of that. So therefore, we need to be in this together in prayer. And incidentally, there is a really technical word for in this together. It's the church. Church, we are in this together. That's what he was saying to them. That's what God is saying to us. Now, I think part of this is is significant for us because we have a hardwired need and a desire for community, don't we? We want to be in a group of people that have something in common with us that we feel good about being a part of. But unfortunately, because of the fall, we have this sin nature. We're really individualistic, especially in our culture. And we tend to struggle with people, especially if they don't think and act exactly like we do. We tend to be tempted towards worldly community. We tend to desire those social type connections that that have this sort of feeling of belongness. I guess I'm not out there flapping because I have this and it makes me feel good. But sometimes that leads us to things that are not biblical, things that are not right, maybe unhealthy relationships, codependent relationships with non-believers, just because we want to feel like we have a place and we want to feel like we belong. We want to have that connectivity because we're hardwired in this, but sin has messed it all up. So sometimes this leads us to an overemphasis in being a part of a political party or a political position 
or it leads us to an overemphasis to say, I'm part of this group that, that has this social agenda issue or this belief in the world, or I'm gonna you know, tag my social media in this way or put this bumper sticker on my car because it brings me into a social group that makes me feel like I have a sense of belonging. And maybe those issues are good or, or not good, but we, we long for it because we need a tribe. We need a people. We want to feel connected. Um, This is such a strong issue. And I realized it recently when I was chastised because my text messages are blue on somebody's phone and he wants them all to be green. And and the reason for that is I have one particular kind of cell phone and and there's this group of people that love their cell phones and, and if you have that kind, then it's a different color. And so I'm sending him a text and he says, What's the matter with you, man? Why do you have to have those blue texts? Why don't you join the right club and get the right phone? So we even have a sense of belonging on what kind of phone we own. Now, when I was younger, when I was a kid, it used to be what kind of truck you drove. But now, it's something different. And so I guess there's just no tolerance for different colored text messages on that brand of cell phone. We want community, even in the simplest smallest things and because of our sinfulness we're often tempted to the wrong kind of community but the together that the world offers is empty that the together that the world has for us offers us a false hope that won't last beyond this lifetime and it won't take you to what is truly good the together or the church in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5, shows us something very, very different. Before I go any further, I want to make it abundantly clear, and I want to be sure that you realize that, that this together, the church, what God has for his people would be impossible. There would be no way for this together if not for Jesus Christ. Jesus has saved you, and he's brought you in to this community together. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Jesus shows us his mercy. He shows us his love. He shows us his grace. And then in that, he to help us in this journey toward him and the kingdom, he plugs us into his family. Another word for that is the church. And then by his grace, he says, I have a specific local church for you right there where you can plug in and have the one another's and have the togethers. That's his wonderful grace and it's only possible because of Jesus. You can't, you can't manufacture that. You can try, but we know it when we see it, when it just sort of looks like the world and doesn't look like heaven. Of course, this isn't going to be perfect. I don't want to sell this a little too much. We're not going to look perfectly like heaven. We're sinners. But God's letting us taste it today, I hope. We get to start to experience it as we're being brought together in this. Okay, with all that being said, my aim for the remainder of the time that I have, which is rapidly running away from me, is that we discuss what it looks like, what it means in this together because of Jesus, specifically when it comes to the spreading or the sharing of the gospel, dealing with evil and the evil one, and corporate prayer. So that's where I'm going to go, those three things. Let's start with the spreading of the gospel together. 
Gospel sharing does not have to be complicated. Some of you have heard gospel sharing and you're going into a little bit of a panic and you're very nervous right now. Okay, I, I understand that, but how do we do it in this way, in this together, empowered and inspired by Jesus? I have, I think, three key ways here. First is we each have our own relational mission field. God gives us this thing that you have and you have and you have and I have. This, it's where you go to school. It's where you go to work. It's where you live and where your neighbors are. It's where you shop. It's the people you connect with. It's your hobbies. It's all of that. And so then together we live faithfully before the outside world. We show them. We, we're an example of what it looks like to be faithful and to, and to have hope and to, and to trust. We already talked about this, but flip back over in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians 4. Just should be just a page or two away. Verses 9 through 12. I want to read what that looks like. It says, about brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek and lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. You hear that? See, live in this way, faithfully. Live like this because people on the outside are watching and they're peering in. They're looking over the fence and going, what is that? What, what's going on there? You become a witness. Colossians 4 verses uh, 5 and 6 expand on that. Paul writes, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Basically, that's a way of saying don't waste the opportunity. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. There's this picture of how we live in this world that becomes a witness. It's not too tough, is it? This isn't too complicated. We can do this, right? We could, this is how God says we should live. I'm going to go ahead and do that. And by doing that, in some way, I'm sharing the gospel. When I first planted a church, and Tono, brother, I guess I'm going to direct this more. You're getting ready to do this. I thought that it would be super great to get everybody supercharged and on steroids about sharing the gospel. I'm like, we're going to do this. You're going to get out there and you're going to knock on every door and pound the streets and go share the gospel and ask everyone you ever meet if they know Jesus. And we're going to, you got to get trained up and you got to know every rebuttal and everything to say and you know, who can share the gospel all the time. And there's some benefit to that a little bit. Like people learn to share the gospel, but at the same time, I'm just like pushing and pushing and pushing that you're out there knocking and, and sharing and, and being that person. But God's plan right here in the scriptures that we just read is that the first thing we do before all that is that you live rightly before the world, that your life becomes a witness because it's pointless if you're knocking on the door and saying, let me tell you about Jesus. And you're actually the most grumpy jerk with all kinds of sin problems and you don't understand grace. Like, I don't want what you're telling me because I see it in your life. It doesn't look pretty. We start with living rightly with hope, understanding how grace works, understanding Jesus in our lives. And all the other stuff is okay. It's good, but if we don't get this right first, I think we're missing it. Now, here's the reason why this is a together activity. Because right now you're going, wait, well, I, that's just me and my relationship in my mission field. How does that work? We do this together in such a way because this is how, for example, with the Thessalonians, all of Macedonia was reached. 
or all of our city was reached, is you have a relational mission field I can't get into. I mean, yeah, I can go to some of your work and kind of be obnoxious and like, you know, stand outside the deli or go through the drive-thru. But some of you have places, if I just showed up at your work all day, it'd be super weird. And you can't get into some of my relational networks. And so we're actually reaching this giant mission field by each taking our own section. We're playing zone, right? We're, We're doing that. And so you have your relational network and I have mine. I could go knock on every single door in Bountiful and I could ask if they have heard the gospel from an evangelical perspective and I could get out a pen and I could draw three circles and I could do it. But it's not going to be anywhere close to as effective as them watching your life and your hope and your behavior day in and day out as you work next to this person. And then when they have a crisis, if you say, how can I pray for you and what can I do for you? And then they have a question for why do you have hope? That's going to be far more effective in your relational mission field than that three minutes when I'm knocking on the front door. That's how we're doing this together, and that's how we're a powerful witness as a church over the long haul. And by the way, living this out as a part of our mission as a church, Redeeming Life Church exists to know, live, and proclaim the gospel. Uh, My second part of this is we intentionally go as missionaries together. We make this an effort where we're not lone ranger evangelists and lone ranger missionaries. Jesus sent his disciples two by two in pairs in Luke 10. He sent them out together. Barnabas and Paul went as a team, and when they separated, they realized they needed that team. So Paul grabbed Silas, Barnabas partnered with John Mark. It's a team effort, and I think we should follow this model. Even if we are out knocking doors or or doing these things, we should try to follow this model. If we're going to intentionally go on mission, let's do it as a team. If we're going to do evangelistic outreach, let's do it as a team. If we're going to go knock doors, grab somebody else and and let's go. Why? Because there's value in team ministry, especially in mission. We all have different gifts. You might have the gift that needs to connect with this person or that person or see this or do that, and someone else might have a different gift. You don't have it all. We need each other in this, and your gifts are a tremendous blessing in this work. And there's safety here. I mean, let's be honest. It's kind of a difficult and crazy world. There's safety in in having that other person there. There's mentoring and training and discipleship opportunities. Hey, I know you're not very comfortable with this. I remember grabbing Josiah on numerous occasions saying, we're going to go do this. Come with us. And he's like, uh, okay. Look where he is now. There's opportunity there. And I think the best is that we, like we see in the book of Acts with Peter and John, with Paul and, and Silas, you can praise the Lord together when you see it. Did you see that? This God just did that. Let's praise the Lord together. And you can pray together when things are tough. And you can sing hymns together at midnight in the prison when you get arrested together. And you, could, you have that camaraderie to worship. I mean, that's what happened to Paul and Silas. We do this together because we're not meant to do mission alone. It's not good for man to be alone. That's true in marriage and in mission. So praise the Lord for wives and praise the Lord for the local church. We get to do this together. Third, uh, you, you, we together get to be a witness by the way we worship and praise the Lord together. By the way, together collectively, we all gather. Okay, this is the church, right? We have worship services and we have gatherings and, and each of us get to play our part in inviting our friends bringing other people. We each get to play a part in what we are doing here and how we welcome people and 
Maybe how you greet somebody or how you made coffee or how you led a group or, or how you just were a smile to somebody. Or maybe you served on the, the team and leading worship. Or maybe you helped in children's ministry or maybe you just helped clean the building. All of this stuff allows us collectively together to be a witness when people do come through the door if God should draw them. We get to show love and kindness to those who God says come and, and encounter my people. We get to be friendly. I mean, how many people can say, I met Joe, and he was so kind, and so we came back. What a nice guy. He invited me to lunch. I just love that somebody is curious about how my week is going. Nobody else does that. I don't go to, I go to work. Nobody asks. I go here and there. Nobody, but wow, when I came there, Joe said, how you doing? Want to go to lunch? We get to do this together. And the way we do this together allows us to be a witness. Even the most simple things on where you choose to park your car might actually be a blessing to somebody else. I'm going to have a sign put up there that says pastor parking. It's the furthest stall out there. Like, let's let everybody else have a closer spot, right? Just the ways you think about what we do here collectively. You have a part just being here. This isn't just about you. It's about those who are going to come through the door. And it's about those who are here and need encouraged. We get to do this as a witness together. We get to do it. This is, this is your role and, and my role. And that's what was happening in Thessalonica, at least according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Like Because of their love, the gospel was spreading. We get to spread the gospel together. Now, because we live in a difficult world, a sinful world, sometimes being a Christian and spreading the gospel invites attack from evil people or the evil one himself. It just happens. So I'm going to go to my second point, and you're in luck. It's a lot shorter than my first point. We're going to bottleneck this down. We face evil, and this text also mentions the evil one together. Spiritual warfare, spiritual attack. Look at verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. Praise God for that. That you in this verse is the Greek plural you. You know, it might better be translated as all of you or you guys or in the South, y'all, or extra y'all would be all y'all. Right? That, that's how that word could be translated. And we see that somewhere else in the plural you when it comes to spiritual attack. We see that in Ephesians 6 11. It says, put on the full armor of God so that y'all, or you, can stand against the schemes of the devil. We suit up, we tack up together so we can together face the evil one. And don't forget the command at the end of that whole section where we're putting on the armor of God and taking up all the pieces and the sword and all that. 6.18 says, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance, and hear this part, and intercession for all the saints. This is not a lone activity. We are in this together. We face the evil one together. And think about it like this. Jesus is our good shepherd, and we love that. I mean, I love the 23rd Psalm, don't you? I love that he, he's with me. But how many of us think that Jesus' flock is just this one sheep, me and Jesus? That's not much of a flock, is it? 
If that were the case, how would it be possible that Jesus could leave the 99 on the hillside in relative safety together to go after the one in trouble? We're in a flock. And together, we can have safety. Together, we can walk with each other as Jesus is working with that lost one. Healthy sheep work together to provide safety on the hillside. Yesterday... Some of us were at a conference, Feed My Sheep Conference, I think is what it's called. Uh, we were at a conference, and a brother shared a story, and we heard of a pastor facing tremendous struggles and serious spiritual warfare. I mean, like debilitating, life-wrecking warfare. And based on his story, I'm completely convinced that if it were not for the other Christians around this brother and his wife serving as Jesus flowed through them to these individuals hurting and struggling, if it was not for that togetherness, I don't think this brother would have made it at all. He needed the church in that season and in that struggle. And this same brother, probably totally unaware, has been used to help me. He's been an encouragement to me. So on occasion, I get into a funk. I have some residual issues in my life from, I don't know, serving in a war and things like that. Sometimes I'll get into a a melancholy or doubt. Chatterbox of the devil is kind of kicking up. And if I let that go too long, it becomes easier and easier to go down that downward spiral. And I start second-guessing if I'm even really a decent pastor to help you. I didn't do this good enough. I didn't do that good enough. Do I really love the people like Christ loved the church? Of course not. But I start to really wrestle with that. I can't live up to what I need to do for the church. I can't handle the word rightly and I I can't show the right compassion. and, And you know what? At the end of the day, I'm terrible at this. And I'm not the right person for this. And and I should just pack it up and leave. That's what starts to happen. You end up in this like horrible vacuum of just voices and awful. And 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 then Jesus brings this brother along and he shares a comment about something that was preached or something that was done, or wow, I see what's happening at this church, or and you go, Oh, 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 oh. Jesus is kind of encouraging me through that voice. And the same happens through Pastor Josiah when we get together and, and certainly Pastor Mike when we meet together and hey, do this. And then it even happens with you guys. You guys Sometimes we'll just say something. And I'm not saying, hey, you got to come up and pat me on the back and say good sermon every time. That actually is not the most helpful for me. Well, it would be helpful if you said, I heard the Lord speak to me in this way and I'm going to apply it like that. That's encouraging to me. I don't need the, the platitudes. I need to know that God is working. Or, hey, I really love this. Or, hey, I'd be happy to serve over here. I, you guys are just so encouraging to me and so are these others. And that's Jesus working together. And my prayer is and my hope is that you're encouraging to each other. And that is happening together. Hey, how did that go? What about this job thing you're trying to apply for? What about this person who's in the hospital? How are you doing over here? How are you doing? This is how Jesus works through each and every one of us for each and every one of us. And it's good. And sometimes you have those struggles. How many of you have had struggles? How many of you feel like you've been sifted by Satan? Right? Sometimes we have those struggles, but let's not forget what Jesus said to Peter when Satan said, hey, Jesus, I want your top guy over there. I want to sift him. 
What do we hope Jesus would say? Hands off, you don't get to mess with him. No, Jesus said to Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. Oh, well, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> and you, Peter, when you have turned back, that's Jesus' confidence that Peter would. It's his confidence. You will, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus had no problem letting Satan sift Peter because Jesus knew that he, Jesus, would carry Peter through the sifting and then Peter would be stronger for it and he would use that sifting for the good of the church. And he uses your sifting for the other people in the church and he uses their sifting that they're struggling with for you because we're in this thing together. That's what the church is. That's what's happening. We face the evil one together. This is why we don't need to look like the world in here. If we try to be too much like the world, we only have what the world has to offer, and it doesn't have that. It doesn't have Jesus. It doesn't have this togetherness that only Jesus can provide. When people come through those doors, they're not looking for all that stuff in the world. They're looking for God, and they're looking for God's people. And that is what we get to do together. Now, because we share the gospel together and because we face the evil one and walk through this difficult life together, the implication is, although not explicit right here, is that we need to pray together. We need to pray together. And we're going to have some time. We're going to do that here in a couple minutes. We're actually going to apply this text right here just in a couple minutes. But before we do that, I want you to understand why it's so important. Notice 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Paul is asking them to pray. And notice verse 5. That's Paul's written prayer for them. This entire section, this preparation for engagement in the world is about corporate prayer. God is faithful. And here's the amazing thing about prayer as a church. It positions us and it shapes our attitude to see that God is faithful and to see that God is doing the great work to spread the gospel and to defend us against the evil one. And we see it when we pray for it and then he follows through and does it. Or he shapes us. Prayer is a way for us together to be humbled To not make it about our skills or our abilities or our great programming or our great strategies. Prayer shows us that it is all by the power of God. It's a really good thing for us to be in prayer so that we don't forget that it's all about Jesus and and really not so much about us. That he is the good shepherd and we are the sheep. And that we are in this together. When you pray together... You start to know each other's heart more intimately and you start to see how we walk through faith together. So we need to be people who are praying together. And then I want to show you one more thing. I want to prove to you that we need to be a church that is more serious about corporate prayer. And I want to promise you that Pastor Josiah and I are working on figuring out how to move us as a church to be a church that prays more. Here's why. I want you to think about the Lord's Prayer. The disciples came and said, hey, can you please teach us how to pray? 
And then starting in Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Most of you have this prayer memorized. How does it start? Our Father. Not just, hey, Dad. Not even just Father. Not my Father. Our Father. And then do you see anywhere in there that it says me? Think about it carefully, because I've looked at all the translations of the English Bible I can find. They all start with our, and I can't find anywhere that it says, give me my daily bread. Forgive me my debts. Don't bring me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. What a selfish prayer. No, the Lord's prayer is not about me. When, when Jesus said, I'm going to teach my disciples to pray, he said, I'm going to teach you how to pray together. Because it's all about our. Give us. Deliver us. Protect us. There is a corporate aspect of that entire prayer. Now, it's important that you go and you pray alone and you go to your prayer closet. That's great, but let's not sacrifice the corporate prayer because we're too individualistic and we feel awkward about it. I think we're missing something. We need to be a people who pray Together, because when we share the gospel together and when we face the evil one together, we need to be people who pray together because we're in this together. This is the church. So we're going to pray together here in just a minute. Pastor Josiah is going to lead us in that and, and uh, I may be hoping one of our musicians might play a little music. We didn't plan for that. But first, I'd like to pray over you and I'd like to pray Paul's prayer for us in verses uh, just verse 5. He says, May the Lord direct our hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Our Father, thank you for this church, for your church, for the local churches around the world that are proclaiming your gospel and, and gathering your people, for the possible church plants that are coming, and, and for the, the pastoralist churches that need your, world, your word proclaimed. Lord, we thank you that you are doing this work, and you are working it out, that we can be a people in this together. And Lord, it's my, <clears throat> my humble request that we would succeed well in seeing the gospel advanced in our community, that we would we would find opportunities and, and see them and be faithful in them and sharing the gospel and living that out well and being the church as people come and, and just, Lord, honoring you through that and honoring that gospel. And Lord, I thank you that you've brought us together with the people to be protected from the evil one in unity, in, a, in an army, your army, your people, and that you are doing the protection. And God, I thank you that you work through each and every one of us as we're struggling to encourage one another to lift one another up, to carry one another, to help one another. I thank you, Lord, that you're doing that in the church, and I pray and I beg that you would do that more in this church, that we would see your hand through our brothers and sisters in their faithfulness toward you, to live as you've called us. And God, as we seek to be a church that prays more together, Lord, I know there are some that they don't even want to open their mouth in public in front of people. Lord, give them the words. Just give them the words to speak. That if they, if they pray even with a couple people, they won't feel scared or, or nervous. They won't feel judged. They will feel emboldened because they get to pray to the one who loves them and died for them. And that the others around them are encouraging them. That we, we would be a people that we, we just love to pray together. We love to come before you together. We love to talk to our good shepherd, our loving father together. And Lord... 
Don't let it slip. Don't let it just get complacent. I ask that you would invigorate us, that you would move us to this work. Lord, that we would see how powerful and how significant it is and that we'd be humble about it to come before you, trusting that it is not our own, but apart from you we can do nothing and so we would just plead and beg that we would be in your will in whatever you would have us to do. Oh Lord, I thank you for this text. I thank you for the reminders. I thank you for the encouragement. I thank you for the equipping. And so now, Lord, as we seek to come together in corporate prayer, give us just these few minutes together that it would be sweet and good and that you would hear our cries. And Lord, we'd recognize that you are a good and faithful provider of all of these wonderful things. It's in Jesus' name. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.